superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. <laughs> Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. Congratulations. Before I lose the entire audience, I want to raise my glass here to Aaron Rodgers. Hey, 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 this is the Rich Eisen Show. I love him. I think he's the greatest. With guest host Susie Schuster. Today's guests, Fox Sports college football analyst, Bruce Feldman, NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport, plus broadcasting legend Rich Eisen. And now, it's Susie Schuster. Well, hey there, everybody. I think when I said I love him, he's the greatest, I think I was referring to Shohei Otani. You absolutely were. But I do love my husband, too. Hi, honey. Susie Schuster in for Rich Eisen here on the Rich Eisen Show on a Wednesday. Great show ahead. In Rappaport will join us, as will Bruce Feldman, as will Marshall Falk, because, you know, I thought I'd get some perspective from one of the very greats of all time. And, of course, a guy named Rich Eisen will call in, too, to talk about Tokyo Gold. He's obviously on Peacock all week, this week and next week, talking about the Olympics 24 hours a day. He said last night he dreamed he was doing highlights. In his dream. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So I think that the Tokyo Gold is penetrating deep into his skull. And we understand that. Good morning to TJ Jefferson. Hey. Pretty in pink today. Well, on Wednesdays, we wear pink. I like that about you, TJ. broke out the Rodzilla and WO for life today. Oh, gosh. Well, (laughs) there's so much happening. There's a lot happening. There's a lot to unwrap there. Good morning, Mike Del Tufo. How are you? How are you doing? Chris Brockman, how are you? Good. I'd like to be referred to as NFL insider Chris Brockman. Hey. Hey. Breaking news over here, baby. Is that just because you want to talk about Cam and how his arm looked today? Uh, Well, no. And I I broke the Randall Cobb news yesterday. You did? uh, Oh, I did. Oh, Chris Brockman shut down Twitter yesterday. Oh, my goodness. And and he shut down the show the day before. So it's like back to back to back. (laughs) Today, number guy. Oh, come on. You got a lot of retweets on this, Brockman. There's a lot of people for you. 908 retweets. I didn't expect this to go as nuts (laughs) as it did, but uh, Green Bay Nation rose up. Uh, They were very excited about the news. And then everyone else that you get your news from confirmed my report. And so, you know. So forget Glazer and Woj and <laughs> yes. Schefter and Shams. Uh, We're now dropping Brockman bombs. Well, if it's going to be Shefty and, and Woj, do we call him Brock? Do we shorten it up? Yeah, because Brock, an, it's I a think Brock an, bomb. if you're an NFL insider, I'm an NFL, I'm an NFL you insider have to have now. a shortened name. I'm an NFL insider. Brock. Well, Brock bomb. Brocking Brock, news. Yeah. Oh, God. Brock bomb? Brocking really? Brocking news. That Brock sounds bomb. ridiculous. Brocking, yeah, brocking, I'll just brocking stick news. Brocking news. It's fine. Hashtag Brocking news. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, obviously, but I, it was funny no, to see that go nuts yesterday. 
I, I'm not going to. And it ended up happening. Refer so to, I, you, to really an insider. Glad. I mean, yeah, really, I'm really glad it happened. If it didn't. <laughs> Brockman will take us around and fill us up with some uh, NFL news of the day. But we're going to start as we have every day this week with Simone Biles. Obviously, she's withdrawn from the individuals all around. She's going to be evaluated by USA Gymnastics before she returns, possibly to the individuals. And I'm shocked and and really just dismayed by the vitriol and the anger of so many armchair experts out there who are so mad at Simone Biles for listening to herself, listening to her body. So angry. Why? Why so angry is what I want to know. Here's a 24-year-old who does moves so dangerous. By the way, forget about watching them and you're amazed. The actual moves are so dangerous that she is the only person, person, man, woman, person out there trying them. I'd like to see you do a double flip into a triple twisting double back <laughs> named right. after you, person out there on Twitter who's so mad because we're raising a nation of softies, wussies. Mm. It's un-American. She quit on her teammates. She's a quitter. Quitter. Naomi Osaka, she's a quitter. What have you done? What have you done that gives you a right to call her a quitter? What have you done? You're sitting there watching and you're angry. What does her listening to her body say about you? What does that reflect to you? Why are you so angry? There's a kid out there, uh, a woman out there named Catherine Burns, who is a former diver, a former gymnast, uh, gymnast. And she said, she actually explained in an incredible Twitter thread this morning about the twisties. And it hadn't occurred to me about how your body gets lost, how your equilibrium is totally thrown off when you are twisting in the air. Not once, not twice, not three times at all. When you're twisting in the air, revolving, rotating, you lose sense of your equilibrium. She pointed out, this woman, Catherine Burns, pointed out that diving, diving coaches will say, out, to kick your legs out. And that gives the divers a way to learn your neural synapses, your synapses, when your brain is creating new neural pathways to know where you are in midair, that your coach will scream out so that you can kick your legs out and then go into the water. There's a reason why these girls learn how to do uh, gymnastics on those crazy foam cubes you see when you take your kid to a gym? Yeah. Because it's dangerous. Simone Biles at any time can fall and snap her neck. But we're saying, Dan, Simone, go perform gymnastics for us out there. After you've already done everything in the world, after you've already established yourself as the greatest gymnast of all time, go perform for us because we're America. You know what I say? Congratulations, Simone. You listened to yourself. You're not putting America first. You're putting yourself first. And when she said that the fun has been taken away because she's performing for others, not for herself, she said, when I was 19, I would just go out there and do it. Who of us didn't do dumb stuff at 19 and not think about it? I did. Plenty. But at 24, you're a different person. She's a woman. She's thinking about her future. Maybe she's thinking about mortality. Who knows? But she said she couldn't do it, and that's okay. People are saying, well, Tom Brady wouldn't do that. He played without a meniscus last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, not the same. 
by the way, he's got an offensive line. Yes, Tom Brady. There were certain times where as a Tom Brady fan, I'm like, Tommy, sit down. Don't get hurt. Walk away from the game. I don't want to see you like some of these other guys who walk away or get wheeled off. Right. I'm not going to lie. There were plenty of times where I was like, oh, come on, Tom. Just you're done. You're great. We love you, Tom. Sit down. Doesn't want to. Fantastic. That's his choice. Her choice is to listen to herself. And that is okay. I got to tell you, like, I get it. I relate to this, TJ. I I was a show jumper growing up. I remember the first time I did like a four foot six fence. I had a horse who had a stop in it. I had nerves. You know what happens when you get nerves when you're cantering up to a four foot six fence? You land on the fence. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous. Dangerous. Every time I did a football game for ABC, I'd have nerves. My skin broke out. I was nervous. But the light goes on and you have to perform. And, and by the way, people say, well, she asked for that job. We didn't tell her to be an Olympian. She asked for that job, so she has to perform. When the light goes on, I have to start talking. What am I going to do? Tell, my, tell Mike Tirico, hey, Mike, I, I, I'm too nervous. I can't do the game. You got to perform. You got to go out there. But just so you know, I was sick to my stomach before every game. Every game. And that's okay. I asked for the job. I worked my ass off to get the job. I'm glad I had it, but it made me sick to my stomach. And if Simone Biles feels like she has to take a break. And by the way, let's not forget that it's quiet in there. She's not feeding off of the frenzy of the fans. She's out there by herself and she's hearing in her head, I'm not sure I can land this. And you're angry. You're mad. Why don't you look in the mirror? Why don't you get off your ass and you try it? So that's how we're starting the Rich Eisen show today. Because I just am in a bit of dismay at the anger. Can we all be a little less angry? Can we all remember that compassion is a good thing and an American value? Compassion is how we built a lot of this country. Reaching down behind to pull up somebody behind us and take them along for this great ride, this amazing experience, the luck we have of being born American. Isn't being American about a dream? She had a dream. She's worked her whole life. Name a sport, people, where there is more sacrifice than women's gymnastics. I'd love to know. These kids start when they're babies. They lose high school. They lose going to parties with boys. They have people staring at their bodies. They're developing. They they get... Locked out of kitchens. Remember, Bella Caroli was famous for putting a giant lock on refrigerators. And Simone Biles, she, she actually talks about going out for a pizza. Name me a, another U.S. gymnast, a gymnast. Name me another U.S. gymnast who's willing to talk about eating a pizza. <laughs> so that's how we're starting the show today. I have tremendous respect. I don't think she's a quitter. I don't think she's soft. I don't think she's a wuss. I think she's an American. And maybe this wouldn't have happened five years ago. Michael Phelps has been speaking about it. He had a DUI afterwards. He went through terrible anxiety swimming for USA Swimming. An incredibly accomplished Olympian. But he had this to say about Simone Biles. 
I think athletes and Olympic athletes in general, I mean, talking about weight of gold, we need someone who we can trust. Mm-hmm. Somebody that can let us be ourselves and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, allow us to become vulnerable. Somebody who's not going to try and fix us. You know, we carry a lot of things, a lot of weight on our shoulders. And it's challenging, especially when we have the, the, the lights on us and all of these expectations that are being thrown on top of us. So um, it, it broke my heart. Yeah. Um, but also, if you look at it, mental health over the last 18 months is something that people are talking about. And he's right, because five years ago, it wasn't part of the conversation, Chris. Definitely Ten not. years ago, it Definitely wasn't not. part of the conversation. Things have changed. Like it or not, we're in a new phase of America. This is who we are. Like it or not. If you don't like it, I get it. But you know what? Respect it. You don't have to like it. I'm not saying we have to be on the same page. But you have to respect it. Because mental illness is everywhere. And it might be affecting somebody that is right next to you and you don't know it. I spoke to Brandon Marshall on the way in today, Chris. I how's, called he, him. how's he doing? He's great. I met him in 2005 when I covered him for the Hawaii Bowl at UCF. Yeah. And he was saying today, he said, you know, he was early on it. People really thought he, they questioned him when he came out. Like, why would he be talking about this? This is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. It's like, he said, I look at her and I feel so sad for her because she feels so lonely. He said, I know how that feels. So I, I, I think, Susie, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head with all this. The very well said, very well uh, uh, laid out. Mm-hmm. When I think about who is saying these things, who is calling Simone Biles a quitter? Who is saying that she let her teammates down? And then I really think about it and I really analyze that. I don't care what they say. They don't matter. Those people who say all those things, they have a very specific agenda. They're talking to a very uh, specific part of our country uh, that is so divided over this issue and obviously many, many issues. And I know that they don't matter. They're losers. They've never done anything in their life. They exist to divide. They exist to tear other people down, not build them up. And so I don't pay them any mind. If you look at everyone who has come to Simone's support, that's all you need to know. Just look at the names, look at their accolades, look at what they've accomplished. Everyone supports her. And those who don't, they're the quitters, they're the losers in all of this. Obviously not Simone. Five-star generals have come to yeah. her support. Who's braver than a general? I, I have such respect for our military leaders. Generals coming to her support. Some of the biggest athletes in the world have come to, to, to her support. Name me an athlete who hasn't felt the pressure. Michael Jordan felt the pressure. He needed, to, he needed a break. Yeah. He re- He's Michael Jordan. He retired are we, twice. Are we saying that Michael Jordan wasn't American? Should we look down on Michael Jordan because he needed a break? Are you mad because it's a woman? Are you mad because it's a black woman? I don't know why you're so mad. But you know what? There's a reason why they call people trolls. I don't have a Twitter account. I don't have the temperament for it. I'm a hothead. <laughs> Wait, you are? You? You? You're? What? You? What? I don't have one. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I most days I wish I didn't have one. And, and, and you know what? I have an Instagram account, but it's private. You know why? It's my kids. I do it. My best friend's British. I do it so I can see her and she can see me. Yeah. You won't even accept a friend request from the show. 
Did, did you request me? I don't like, even look. Like four years ago, but four years ago. Do you know what I? You know what I did, TJ? Recently, I went through my Twitter, not Twitter. Sorry, I went through my Instagram because I looky loo. I'm not going to lie. I looky loo on yeah. riches. I need to get ready for the show. You, I, you like stuff. I see it. I know. I like stuff for him. He's like, did you like that? Uh, but my Instagram is for my family, and so I thank you to everybody who requests. Whenever Rich posts something, I get people saying, "But you know what? I'm not a social person." I'm a Leo. I have a big personality, but I'm not a very social person. I like five friends in life. <laughs> you sound like me. Yeah. I mean, that's the truth. Uh, by the way, Leo, Leo, Leo. I know. We're all Leo. <laughs> I know. It's Leo so great. Season. <laughs> the fact of the matter is this. What Chris said is right. If you don't like Simone and you're angry and you're going to spew your hatred as a troll... Look in the mirror, my friends. Does it really make you feel any better? Are you a better person because you got out your anger? You showed her, faceless person. You don't have to be faceless. You can choose to be happy. It's a choice. But for some people, it's not. Because mental illness is real. If you had cancer, wouldn't you get chemo? If you broke your arm, wouldn't you get it wrapped up, splinted, cast? If she'd hurt her ankle, if she'd only said, I twisted my ankle, I can't walk in it, it's swollen. Four to six weeks, you're on the IR, you get hurt. Right. What about the yips? No different. Are we castigating baseball players because they get the yips? Name me a professional athlete without a sports psychologist. There have been movies done about it. But she faced the press. She didn't go away. She put on her sweats. She stood there with her teammates. And she met the press and she answered beautifully. She, my friends, is brave. And I respect her. You're here. That said, Cam Newton's back. Hey. Mac Jones is back. We got other things to uh, talk about. I feel back. like I... everyone's there. Randall Cobb is back. Where'd you hear that? Aaron Rodgers <laughs> is back. Let's go with football, baby. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna lighten up. By the way. <laughs> Before we lighten up, we might as well mention that Lamar Jackson's got COVID again. Oh, yeah, Lamar Jackson's COVID Because why not keep adding? Hey, guys, it's a Wednesday. Ron Rivera's pissed at his team. Ron Rivera. <laughs> I mean, it, I feel like it's a it's a heavy Wednesday. It's a heavy Chiche, we- you're going to have to do Wednesday. something to make this more fun. <laughs> Think of a bit quick. Lighten up the mood a like, Do we bit? need more champagne hey, in here? Hey, Don't oh. joke. I texted, uh, I texted Charles Barkley right before we went on the air. I'm like, can you please come on today so you can say beep on the air to like make this more fun because he's mad again which is great <laughs> it's terrible Kenan. terrible terrible in Rappaport when we come back this is a hot way to start the rich eisen show bruce feldman's up next we're going to talk to him from the athletic he's got a great article out about jordan palmer who i always think about as carson palmer's brother but i guess i gotta have to refigure yeah. <laughs> we got a heavy wednesday here on the rich eisen <laughs> show go. Don't go away. Hot we'll get fire. happier, I promise. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Seattle is hosting New Orleans in a playoff game. Correct. In Seattle. And we played them earlier we played them early. in the season. So um, it's not uncommon. We played them on Monday Night Football five weeks prior. And now we are back in the divisional round at Seattle. Only it's a little different. We're, we're staying over uh, across the water in Bellevue. And so the first thing in the morning when I get up is I have a waffle you know, the whipped cream, strawberries, and I'm, I'm flipping through the networks trying to get either ESPN or NFL Network. Who's going to give me the forecast? There's NFL Network. I got it. And they're going <laughs> to these sites where the divisional games are going to be played. And they're talking about, this is sunny here, blah, blah, blah. And then to Seattle, and they and they get to the Seahawks Stadium, and, and I know that it's going to be, and you can see the wind. And... <clears throat> I'm eating my waffle, and they pan down on Russell Wilson and Drew Brees throwing a football on the field in their grays. I'm going to tell you where I'm supposed to be at that moment when they're throwing a football. I am supposed to be meeting with the officials, discussing the inactives, all right, and getting ready to say the Lord's Prayer and give our players a pep talk. That's where I'm supposed to be at that moment. I stumble out of the bed. This is my worst nightmare. I know I'm a half an hour away from the stadium. And I'm thinking to myself, national anthem, I'm in my underwear late to the game. Right? That's the nightmare that I had. Wow. And I just saw Breeze and Russell Wilson warming up. And I run to the shower, call my assistant, can't get him. The waffle is spilled on the floor. I get back. My assistant says, hey, what's up? And I said, when did the buses leave? No one called. He said, Coach, the buses haven't left yet. They had taken B-roll from the Monday night game. Someone in the tape room wow. ran the wrong tape. Can you imagine? <laughs> I text Falk. He's on set with Rich. I said, what are you guys doing? <laughs> I had a cow. Like, I'm telling you, you have no idea. We're talking about being like, this is the divisional playoff game. Yeah. Not being there for the kickoff as the head coach. That's how late I was. <laughs> and Sean, just Marshall showed me the text. We went back and forth. I arrived. <laughs> this guy now is live on the field, and I peek out at the stadium only because of the conditions, and I take a look, and Rich says, good to have Sean Payton here at the stadium on time. <laughs> just some, some sly comment that, that not one, one person is going to understand until we tell the story. Amazing. Welcome back to the Rich Eisen Show. Susie Schuster in for Rich Eisen here. Thrilled to be with you. And Bruce Feldman joins us now from The Athletic. He's got an incredible piece out on the technology giving Josh Allen and Joe Burrow a big boost in their NFL careers with Jordan Palmer, who 
Bruce, I keep thinking of him as Carson's brother, but I think that he's come a long way. So uh, it's been a long time since I've seen you. How are you? I'm doing great, Susie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it, it's funny because for almost everybody, that's what Jordan Palmer's been known as. He was the younger brother and he was the backup. I'm mean, sure people remember him, you know, when real sports was around the Bengals, but he's really emerged as a pioneering quarterback coach in the private QB space. And so I think what's fascinating just to see what he's done, Josh Allen is the, the thing that's been kind of amazing about him is for so long, a lot of coaches inside football believed quarterbacks couldn't get that that much more uh accurate as they as they got older and obviously josh allen had big accuracy question marks coming out of wyoming and what he and he and the bills and certainly what what uh jordan palmer have been able to do by embracing this like technology and and the biomechanics part has been pretty significant now you know as people see in the story the way they talk about the improvement in Joe Burrow's arm strength coming off this injury, I think is going to be really fascinating to watch. Funny, we had Peter King on the other day, and he was talking about the optimism with the Bills and and what's ahead for them this season. What exactly is Jordan doing that you saw in investigating this piece that is basically retraining these guys? It is. And so a lot of what he has done um, is rooted in biomechanics, but it's also... If you think about like the Marvel movies in Hollywood, they have the technology's been obviously pretty mind blowing with the green screen technology. And back not that long ago, in order to have some of these CGI kind of quality, you would have special suits that people would have to wear or these kind of markers that were dotted all over human bodies. Well now, uh Palmer's really connected with this company called Biometric and they it's Basically, if you throw, you're on around nine, like almost security-style cameras. It's not like the cameras are that significant, but it's basically like a quarter of a million dollars worth of software that processes it all in real time. So they're able to get amazing feed, feedback into what is actually going on with the body. And then, as Palmer said, it's, it's really also in the messaging. He goes, I don't want to tell them. I want them to feel how this is. So in the case of Joe Burrow, for instance, um, he's a guy who, when they trained him for the draft a year, you know, a year ago, he never threw, they never clocked him at throwing harder than 48.5 miles per hour exit velocity. After he came through the rehab process and his core and his lower body were much stronger than it, they've ever been, they tweaked some things and all of a sudden it kind of blew Joe Burrow's mind when he was like, wait a minute, I'm throwing 54 now? It was a dramatic difference. And in the case of a Josh Allen, I think it's really just being like sharper and more accurate now on really one or two specific throws that they've spent a lot of time this offseason just getting his weight balance and weight distribution just a little cleaner than what it was. So maybe he doesn't, the ball doesn't fail a little bit on that particular throw. And it's that kind of maintenance that they've done with the technology and the biomechanics. It's really, it was really fascinating to watch the whole process from the inside out. How will they follow up as the quarterbacks go back to their teams, their respective teams, and throughout the season? Well, this is one thing where these, these guys are, you know, they're like high-performance cars in a lot of ways. They know their bodies really well. And obviously Palmer's still connected um, you know, to these guys because of the relationships. But I think so much of it is 
in, in Josh Allen and also the coaches who work with him now, they know exactly what the tweaks are. And, uh, and obviously nothing is foolproof if injuries happen and, and different things like that. But I think that what they're looking at is the difference between the Bills being a, a Super Bowl team at this point is maybe that one pass on a third and 13. If he hits it and he's on the money, it can be a touchdown. If not, they're punting, and maybe that, that could be the difference. And so, you know, talking to Jordan Palmer a lot about that, and he has spent so much time with Josh Allen on this. He was like, to see where he's come from the guy who was at Wyoming, you know, who is a lot of people had a lot of questions about his accuracy to where he is now, where he almost won an MVP. It's, um, and it's not even that long. It's three years. So I think to see that all those steps, I think they feel like, all right, you've got to keep working and keep checking off boxes. And now, like I said, if they can, they feel more confident in this, in these like one or two particular specific throws that they are, they, they've really tried to re-engineer and tweak um, they, you know, he feels like a guy who completed sixty nine percent of his passes, maybe in the mid seventies this year. It's going to be fascinating to watch him now on third and thirteen. I'm going to watch the games and look for those <laughs> passes and see because you're going to have explained to us through this article in the Athletic uh, of what to look for. And you're absolutely right. Love to turn to college football and get your thoughts, Bruce Feldman, on this super conference that's emerging with the SEC in Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah, it's gone such a crazy turn in the last week. So in the short part of this, so Texas and OU really were the the two programs that drive a lot of the money and the eyeballs when it relates to the TV viewing audience for the Big 12. Obviously, those are the blue blood programs there. Oklahoma's had a lot of success in recent years with Lincoln Riley. Texas has had, has been really up and down, but not all that up. Uh this thing has been in the works for a while. We've obviously heard a lot about it in the last week. Uh, everything I'd heard from talking to people around the Big 12 is okay. You know, ESPN and Greg Sankey have really been in the middle of all this. They've been taking some financial models and see that this is a big, big shift that is going to happen at the top of the food chain in college football. To me, what's really interesting here is, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, was on a small working group uh, with, the, with the AD of Notre Dame, uh, another group of five commissioner, Craig Thompson from the Mountain West. And then the fourth person is Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12. They had spent a long time, months and months, secretly talking about how to expand the playoff or what to do with the playoff. So while all those conversations were going on, all those meetings, Greg Sankey was basically not divulging or, you know, keeping Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12, in the, in the dark about the moves he was plotting, which were basically going to gut the Big 12 and the Big 12's identity as we all know it. I mean, that's kind of, it's a really stealthy, really, um, really spicy stuff that was at the core of all this that, that's going on right now. And it's, there's a lot of more dominoes that are going to keep, keep toppling over from here. By the way, that's your next book, <laughs> FYI. That's that's your next book. What's going to happen to Notre Dame? Notre Dame is in a is in a as, as usual is in a strong financial position. They have a lot of leverage in terms of you know if the Big Ten decided it would it felt like it was in its best interest to expand, Notre Dame would be a would be a big target. 
the ACC, where Notre Dame played this past year and has a lot of its sports are now competing in. I think that is that is something that would be attractive to the ACC. And if you're the SEC, you'd be like, okay, this is a huge brand with a lot of success, and they've had a lot of good football program football teams of late. I think they would be attractive to the SEC. And from what I was told, Notre Dame was one of was part of a financial model that Greg Sankey and ESPN had projected in this process. So, you know, my guess is. Notre Dame is going to sit back and see what exactly are is the best. You know, they love the idea of being unique and independent. Can they sustain it at the same level going forward if there are really two power superpower conferences? Let's say one is obviously the SEC. The other one is some version of the Big Ten. You know, after that, I, I don't know what USC, which has which it doesn't have as much bargaining power as Notre Dame, but still has a lot. And I think, you know, one other thing I've heard that is significant, but it's certainly a, it's factors in for Notre Dame is some of these other conferences, especially the Big Ten. The Big Ten wants to be in business with AAU, high academic accredited institutions, and Notre Dame is that. So that just only adds another chip in their pocket, but to see how they decide what's in their best interest. That's, a, that's like many of, the, many of the TBDs, but that's a big domino out there. What do you think the end game will be? I think you're going to see a lot more movement. I also think you are going to see a bunch of schools that were previously aligned with powerhouse programs in, in big conferences, meaning if you're a Big 12 program and you were, you know, that's a power five league. You were in the same league and still technically for now are with Texas and Oklahoma. You know, you were seen as, as not a mid-major program. I think what we're finding out and what a lot of people in Greg Sankey's orbit already know is if you are not one of those blue blood, big TV brand programs, um, that's the differentiator. So for instance, you know, while Oklahoma State or Texas Tech, they have they have played these other you know two two elite programs for years, and they have leveraged some of that because they get the TV money. But I think when it comes to the reality, when you study those TV numbers, and again, that's where a lot of this money comes from. Most of it is they're probably closer to AAC programs to Tulsa and to. I don't say, you know, like Cincinnati than they are to Texas and Oklahoma or than they are to Ohio State and Alabama. Uh, Because even, you know, like even in the games, Oklahoma State plays Oklahoma in their big bedlam game. That gets a lot of attention. If Oklahoma State is playing Texas Tech or is playing Baylor or is playing uh, Kansas State, it just does not have the same appeal. And that is a harder sell for the TV people who are going to be, you know, footing the bill for this. And so that's the part where I think you're going to see a bunch of these programs get squeezed because they will not be able to command the same price or anywhere near the same price that what you're going to see from the SEC, from going to see from the Big Ten. And it's going to be survival of the fittest, and that's going to have a lot of unintended consequences all the way down the line from this too, I think. 
Well, Bruce Feldman, isn't that how it always is? I mean, when you hear Nick Saban talk about Bryce Young, his quarterback, and about how he's going to be making a million dollars before he even basically steps on the field and how hard it is going to be with the discrepancy of the other kids in his team, it's all about money. And we talked about this yesterday. Chris Brockman and I were talking about tradition, and, and I love college football. I miss the traditions of it, and and I always found that to be one of the most appealing things about it, but... Isn't this going to be, Bruce Feldman, just more of the rich get richer and the bigger teams will just get more money and more attention? How will this keep college football competitive? I'm not sure it will in the same way. Like what you said a minute ago, the rich get richer, that is exactly what's going to happen. And I talked to, uh, there was a a Pac-12 media days were yesterday out in Hollywood and there's a lot of talk in the you know in the lobbies and in the hallways of what exactly does this mean? And one of the administrators at at a uh, at one of these programs had made the case with all these financial resources and the windfall of money that is going to just you know blow through some of these heavyweight programs or programs with these big deals that it's going to change. And I was like, well, how much money are we, you know, you're talking about coaching salaries. And so are we going to see coordinators making $4 million a year at some programs now, whereas that'll be double what they, what head coaches will make in a lot of places. I mean, the coaching salaries have, have, have blown up so dramatically in the last 10 years, really even the last five years that, if you're talking about where the TV money is going to go, I mean, cause already you're seeing, you know, like the facilities, uh, kind of war games of just how much more money are they, are they throwing into this left and right? And yeah, there's great resources for student athletes on these campuses. But when you start talking about all the other stuff that's coming with it, I don't know how you, um, you know, how a lot of the other ones are, they're not going to be able to compete with that. Because they're pushing the money so so if the money's going to go in such a have and have not uh, space that it's going to I don't want to say it's going to change the game to the point where fans won't recognize it because at the end of the day it's still going to be football college football on the field but I think what you're going to have is a lot of programs are going to be marginalized they will still have their own fans who will still hopefully be passionate about those those teams. But it's going to be such a disparity between the haves and the have-nots, even more so than it's been. And that's saying a lot because it's not like, certainly it's not like the NFL or it's not like other pro sports where there's some system of, of parity that's kind of built in, whether it's a draft or salary caps or different things. We're not going to, you're going to see such an astronomical shift if the money keeps going the way it does, then that's just going to be a reality of it. I don't see any anything that's going to slow that down as the TV dollars keep keep piling in for certain programs and they don't for others. Bruce, give me something hopeful for college football before we wrap up today. I, I, need, I need a little string to hold on to as we're here in July because, boy, it's, it's, a, whole lot of, uh, it's a whole lot of heavy right now in college football. It is. The one thing I would say, and this is from having been at three different conference media days in the last two weeks between the Big 12, the Big 10, and the Pac-12, there's a lot of really, really impressive 20, 21, 22-year-old people out there in college football who are on these teams. And they have, 
a voice that they have never had before, in part because of social media. Some of it's going to be related to NIL. And I think there are, it's not to say that we did not have a lot of really thoughtful um, people who are, who know how to use their voice years ago, but I think there's just now more opportunity. I think they have come up in a different way. And I was really blown away by some of the people I've met in how they present themselves and what they want to do with their platforms and how they want to reach people. And I think there's a lot of really strong voices coming up. And I'm just talking really just in terms of just the college football world. And I've had conversations with athletes at, I know one of the players at UCLA and I had a conversation with him about a month ago and he just kind of raved about some of the female athletes in the UCLA athletic program that he knows and that what they are doing and what they're about. And I think there is a generation of these athletes who have their eyes open. And I think those are people who are really empowered. And I think those are things that are really encouraging just beyond what's going on on the field and the actual competition of, of how they're going to help uh, influence things for some, a lot of positive uh, positivity. Bruce Feldman from The Athletic and from Fox Sports. Thanks again for your time. We're going to seek out that article, and I think you all should on Joe Burrow and, and on Josh Allen. It's pretty great, and I'm really happy for all the success that Jordan Palmer's had too. Great speaking with you again. Great Susie, to catch up. Me. Great to catch up. Much more ahead on The Rich Eisen Show. We've got Ian Rappaport. We've got Marshall Falk. We've got a guy named Rich Eisen calling in with Tokyo Gold people. That's all coming up on The Rich Eisen Show. Don't go anywhere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Your process in in coming up with these videos um, right upon the Cowboys' uh, misery just piling on. There's no real process. I mean, it, it, hits, me, it hits me naturally. Um, it's, it's very impromptu, extemporaneous, right off the cuff. Yes. I sincerely mean from the bottom of my heart, I don't care whether you're young or old, black, white, Hispanic, doesn't matter to me. I think that Dallas Cowboys fans are the worst, most disgusting, most nauseating fan base in American history. <laughs> Nobody disgusts me more than a Cowboys fan because they never, ever, ever take a moment to smell their own own stench. 
this is a team that hasn't won a Super Bowl since 1995. And they walk around like they're the reigning defending Super Bowl champions every single year. I've got a Dallas Cowboy fan here. Rich Eisen show social media uh, extraordinaire uh, grandmaster TJ Jefferson. Um, who My condolences to him. He is reasonable. I do want to say that. I mean, you're right. But you did say five years ago, though, you were thoroughly just like every other Cowboy fan that Stephen A. has received. I, I probably described. resembled the remarks that he made. Okay. You know? But, I mean, nobody feels that way anymore, man. <laughs> and I, really? I'm on Cowboys Twitter a lot. I don't. I see a bunch of angry and annoyed Cowboy fans. I don't see Cowboys fans, like, walking around, like, oh. thinking we're the Chiefs or something. Like... Yeah. What do you think, Steve? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I don't know you. I don't know you. And I don't mean to cast any aspersions on you as a human being. I'm sure you're a very nice, uh, highly intelligent dude. But for this particular subject, you are a damn liar. <laughs> no way. There is no way that you can say with a straight face that you don't run into Cowboy fans. Think like this. Cowboy fans are the most arrogant, disgusting, nauseating fan base you could possibly find. You never take a second to smell your own stuff. And I'm just looking at here. You know, one of the great, great moments that I had. Yes. All right. Remember 2010 when you ended up going 6-10? But then those weren't my favorite years with the Cowboys. Because I actually liked the Cowboys when the playmaker and Emmitt Smith, Troy Aikman were there and stuff like that. And Primetime came over to San Francisco and all of this other stuff. But here was my favorite moment. 2011, 2012, 2013. Not only did the Dallas Cowboys finish 8-8 eight and eight each season, they had the last game of the regular season with the division crown on the line. And lost all three years to each of the teams in the division. It doesn't get much sweeter than that. And even then, y'all still walk around. We'll be back next year. You, you, you'll see. You'll see. I really worry about Stephen A. Smith. He never has an opinion. <laughs> he's such a shy guy. I really, really am worried that he don't think that, he's going to make it. He in doesn't this have business. a take. Yeah, yeah, no takes. Uh, it's a nah, I have gonna, a take. Make it. That man is so in love with the Dallas Cowboys. He can't like stop thinking about us. Like he wouldn't spend Cowboys. He wouldn't spend that much time talking about someone you hated as much as he talks oh, about the Cowboys. On, so he, the Cowboys. He, he secretly for, loves us. Cowboys so you think it's like Dallas. in high school when like yes. you, you talk bad about the girl that you like? No. A girl in high school, I used to like pour hair when I sat behind her because mm-hmm. I was trying to flirt. I think he really loves the Cowboys and he can't stop talking about us. Hey, TJ, you know what girls really love when you pull their hair? <laughs> I was <laughs> Note si- to self. I was in sixth grade, yeah, Susie. The game stepped up since then. Whatever. You got game. We understand. <laughs> and, you're, and you're in pink. So there you go. There you go. We have calls, people. And by the way, I invite you all to call in. Please call in. Let's have a conversation. Take a call. Chris, yeah, let's do, do it got? about everything. Let's start at the top. Uh, Jeff in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how's it going, Susie? Uh, I just want to talk about Simone Biles a little bit. Uh, I know you mentioned earlier everyone uh, kind of coming to her defense, uh, the celebrities and former pro athletes. I think uh, a lot of them are kind of trying to do that just because you know, it's the right thing to do. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, the popular thing to do. Um, and secondly, you know, the four and a half years that she wasn't in a public spotlight, what, what, what was going on? If she couldn't handle 
being in the public spotlight for a month out of every four years, then why does she choose to be a gymnast? Well, I think she was in the spotlight. I think she was competing on an international level and winning. I mean, she hasn't lost an all-around since 2013. But I think that it's different this year, and I really appreciate your call and your thoughts, and I'm open to them. But I think it's different this year in this Olympics coming off of a pandemic where everyone's tension is higher, everyone's anxiety is higher. They're traveling to another country in a crazy time zone with no fans. No family. No family. No support system. I hear you. It might seem popular, and you might be right. Maybe there are people looking to jump on the right side of the bandwagon. Whatever it is, don't care about bandwagon people. Don't care about the illusion that celebrities are doing anything. I think the celebrity thing gets out of whack. Some people just really care. Yeah, when you see other athletes, high profile, big name, famous athletes, they know what she's going through mm-hmm. because they've gone through it themselves and whatever the sport, you know, that they've been dominating for their whole life. So they know what it takes. They know what she's going through. They've felt that pressure as well. Maybe not on an Olympic stage. Michael Phelps certainly has. He's the most decorated Olympian that we have. But when you think about Simone, too, talk about the pressure. She is the face of the Olympics for Team USA. She was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, on the cover of every preview. Every TV show starts talking about her. She's carrying this burden. We don't know what that's like for her. We can only accept what she has told us as fact. And this is what she said. She's having a hard time dealing with it. Let's just accept that. She's a woman. She's a black woman. She's a survivor of Larry Nasser. Exactly. And has spoken about it. She's carrying that on her as well. Also... I was thinking about this also when I was talking to Brandon Marshall this morning. We talked about a team sport versus an individual sport. When you're an individual athlete, you're out there all alone. You don't, she has her teammates, Chris. I mean, she has, obviously she went and stood on the sidelines with them. A girl gets a chance that may not have had it before. But as an individual athlete, it defines alone. And when you're out there rotating through the air, (laughs) trying to figure out where you are and hoping you're not going to snap your neck upon landing. That's a whole different ball of wax. The idea that they have of training for this and having to develop these neural paths to know where they're landing. And yes, she spent her whole life doing it. Doesn't feel right right now. So those of us who have never done it before, we, we can judge does it make you feel good about yourself judging? I guess. I don't know. Some people might want to, but to me, I can't judge because I'm, sh- I'm not in that spotlight. Yeah, we don't know. And again, these athletes, they accept the spotlight. They're taking it, but she can't right now, and that is okay. But thanks, Jeff. I appreciate your call. Who well, else do we have, Chris? Let's go to Steven in California. Line two, Mike. Steven, how you doing? Hey, good morning, guys. <clears throat> good morning. Uh, love the show. First-time caller, and I'd kind of pile on with what that last caller had said. It's it's hard. I'm a 51-year-old guy, and it's just it's hard for me to reconcile the you know pressure that she says she's under. And I watched the news, and I saw her press conference yesterday, and then immediately after that, I saw a story 
of uh, a female um, bicycle racer from the refugee team Mm -hmm. who was from Afghanistan. And she was risking her life just to train and just to be on a bike. And it's when I when I look at something like that and I see, well, if anybody deserves to say, you know what, this is just too much for me, the pressure's too high. It's it's something like, you know, like what this woman has gone through. And, you know, I it's I don't know if it's my age and I come from that generation, as a lot of others do, where, you know, you just kind of grin and bear it and gut it out. But it's I'm, I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. The same thing with Naomi's Osaka. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but I think for a lot of people, it's it's tough to see these athletes. And, you know, I've, I've got to go to work every day and, and, you know, make enough money to pay my mortgage and put gas in my car, food in my mouth and my kid off to college. And, you know, we don't have the ability to throw in the towel when, when there's a little bit of pressure. So it's it's hard for me, and I think it's probably hard for others to generate, you know, a, a whole lot of sympathy. I really appreciate that, Stephen, and thanks for calling and thanks for listening, and and I'm so glad that you called in for the first time. I'm thrilled that you did. I I think you're right in a lot of ways. However, when you do go to work, you're not taking your life in your hands, and I think that's the other thing that people seem to forget. I'm 49. No, how old am I? My birth is next week. I'm 48. Had to think about that for a minute. Had to think about that. That's not good. I'm 48. I came from that suck it up system. I'm from Massachusetts. They yeah, yeah, throw me, you me out. Yeah. You don't complain. No. Right? Chris, you know, you're from me. You don't complain. You don't talk about your feelings, first and foremost. Feelings? What's wrong with you? Yeah, exactly. What are those? You have feelings? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Ask Rich about dating me. That was great. <laughs> I think Stephen brings up a lot of good points, and it's what a lot of people feel. But I also think it's really important to remember professional athletes aren't like you and me, they're different people. They're not like regular people. They don't have nine to five jobs. The stress that they're under, the stress that they put their bodies on. I don't know what Steven does for work, but I'm sure he's dealing with all of those things. Like he said, paying his mortgage, sending his kid to school, putting gas in the car and food on the table. Professional athletes don't go through that. It's, ex- it's infinitely more stressful what they're dealing with. Simone Biles, like I said, is the face of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Just think of that, that for a second. The face of of the Olympics, having to deal with all that and the pressures that come and the expectations of having to win gold medal. It's gold or bust. Silver, what's that? Those were the expectations for her, maybe not put upon her by herself, but upon everyone else, sponsors, the commentators, the fans, by being the face of these Olympic Games. We do not know what that's like. And at the end of the day, you cut her, she bleeds. She's a human being. And you're right, Chris. People who are lucky enough to be professional athletes choose this career. It's their life. It's their career. Those of us going to work every day, we're not taking our life in our hands. We've got callers. I hope you'll stay on. I want to take these calls. There's a lot more Rich Eisen show when we come back. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take those calls. Just hold on. I think you're so right, Chris, and you said it perfectly. And I appreciate Steven. I think he's right. He is right. And, and, and he said he was 51, right? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm 41. And I came from that life as well of like, suck it up. What, what, you're tired? You, your feelings are hurt? Who cares? It's practice time. 
You got to go do this. You got to do go do that. Yeah, there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball, and I think like more and more what we're realizing, and more professional athletes like Brandon Marshall, like Kevin Love, and Paul George, and now Simone Biles, Demar Derozan, Demar Derozan, all of these guys and gals, like there is crying in baseball. There's crying in gymnastics. There's crying in football. There's crying in tennis. There's crying in everything, mm-hmm. and the problem of all the previous generations is that we, it wasn't okay to talk about that. And now it is becoming okay. I mean, it's becoming a little less stigmatized. And the more and more that we're okay with talking about it, and Joe Sixpack is okay with hearing his favorite player talk about that and not think he's a, he's a wimp or less than, the better off we'll be. And I, I will say this, I'll add to this. The whole idea of celebrities, as if they're being paid to say these things, I have to, like, bring that up because I see that over and over with yeah. trolling. You're just a celebrity and you're being paid to do X, Y, or Z. You've got to be kidding me, guys. <laughs> right. Just so you know, like, I wish they'd pay Rich more to do things like that he wants to throw his opinion on behind. I promise you they're not. <laughs> Sometimes they are. Like, that's good. But saying a celebrity's doing it, TJ, just because it's they're being paid to or it's popular... There are no doubt there are followers in this world. But sometimes there's just flat-out compassion. And yes, Chris, I'm older than you. I definitely look at things differently. Doesn't mean that it's wrong or right. We have to embrace an emerging culture because no matter what, it's coming. It's coming. And it's up to us. Yeah, it's here. It's here. It's knocking on the door. You got to open that door. We have to appreciate that that's how they feel. We want our Olympians to be gods. That's where the Olympics came from, from Greek mythology. We want them to be gods. They're not. And at the end of the day, she's a young girl, a young woman, and she's got the pressure of the world on her shoulders. More Rich Eisen when we come back. <laughs> 